So let's start from the beginning. Let's go. I like to do timeline things. Let's go pre-surgery, actual surgery, post-surgery. Okay. Uh, tell us first of all, when you started fearing are experiencing symptoms and how you dealt with it and all the way up to actually having surgery. So it started in, I think, January of 2019 is when I first, I think I always had my hips were tight or they always felt tight. But in January of 2019, I started, I noticed it a lot more. And it was always just front of my hip, the anterior hip. It just always felt tight and I could never get any relief with it. So I did a ton of hip flexor stretching. I did a lot of rotational stuff. And in hindsight, that probably wasn't the best thing to be doing, but I didn't know. You know, I just thought, I thought it was a muscular issue at the time. Did it feel tight or did it feel like it was blocked? Like it you felt, could at try first it and, felt tight. Okay. Cause I'm comparing it to what I feel now in my right hip and it's like, I know it's blocking cause I have the same thing going on in my right hip, but I don't the have same any, anatomical difference. An, anatomical difference. Yes. But I don't have any symptoms. Right. So, I mean, at the time it felt tight. Right. But when I look back at it and actually finding out what's going on, it makes more sense that something's blocked. Right. Because nothing you did really helped it. Exactly. So that was frustrating. And that just slowly got worse over like four or five months. And it got to the point where I was sitting in class and it would hurt any sort of squatting, like remotely near 90 degrees hurt. Um, those were the big things. Right. So now it's affecting your daily life. Well, it was more affecting. Yeah. I mean, it bothered me in class, but it wasn't to the point where I was like, I can't do this. And then with working out, I just kind of modified things. I don't know. Didn't really think anything of it. But then... Once it got more into the summer, so like June and July, it started to hurt when I sat down all the time and it wouldn't go away. And then I couldn't put my socks on. So that's a problem. Yeah. Like that was the hardest part of my day. I would have to, (laughs) I would have to, I kid you not. I have to, I would have to psych myself up to put my left sock on. Yeah, that's a problem. So I'd have to go. So in our front hallway where that's the, there's that little step yep. into the kitchen, I would have to kneel there and then put my left foot up on that right. little bit of elevation and then kind of like swing my upper body into it just so I could, like I had to use momentum just down. so I could get that far. And, and you're then just pinching I down prayed it. Yep. And I pray to God that I nailed like I didn't miss my foot the first time. So I would like hold, you know, I would hold it apart with my thumbs, the sock. Right. And then one, two, three, and boom, trying to get it. And at that point, <laughs> I realized this is ridiculous. Something bigger is going on here. Right. This isn't a pulled muscle or uh, a weak glute or you know any yeah, of that. And, a and weak everyone, core, any of that stuff. Everyone in class, like when we would do hip stuff, they like, well, you have tight hips. Well, you have tight hips. Well, you have tight hips. I'm like, I don't, do I? Like right. that, this isn't normal for it to just stop. Right. You know, like even like everyone would just say I have tight hips. I'm like, well, why don't we try and 
gain more motion here. And, and from and can't. from the combination of your genetic predisposition and also the adaptations your body has made to the environmental factors you put it through, mm-hmm. puts that hip in a like almost too stable position. Yep. But that's what it needed to, you know, to do the things you needed to do. Right. So then, combined with some genetic factors where you had some overgrowth and things like that as well. Right. So then that takes us to about July. So in July, I started realizing that I needed something done. I needed imaging or whatever. And I was up north, so I was doing a clinical rotation in Thief River Falls. And I didn't have access to the people that I wanted to see in the Twin Cities. Right. So that was tricky, trying to get like insurance involved and trying to figure out who's covered and the facilities i do remember all that up there so that that was just a whole nother thing like the logistics of dealing with all those separate entities involved so i called how did this go i needed a physician's referral or a you know primary care referral for imaging right for the initial x-ray for the initial x-ray which I just made an appointment with a nurse practitioner up there. Right. And I told her, I explained my situation. I explained what I knew being a PT student and she was, she understood. So we got the x-ray and then I needed another referral. I think that, I think this timeline may not line up, but I need a referral to get an appointment with a surgeon. The guy right. I wanted to see was Dr. Larson at Twin Cities Orthopedics, and he was the only guy I wanted to see. Right. To see a specialist, sometimes insurance dictates that you need a referral from a provider. Right. So I was running out of time because his schedule fills up quick. Right. So the earliest I could get into him was like September, and this is July. Okay. Yeah, a couple months out. And there's just a lot of moving pieces where I wasn't in the twin cities and then I couldn't see him till September. But then in September I turned 26. So I went off my parents insurance. So then I wanted to get as much done before that time. Right. While I was still covered by insurance. Cause I didn't know what insurance options I would have after turning 26 and what they would cover. And if this was even possible. So I remember just on like my, my chart account, just, messaging whoever asking if I could just get a referral uh, like just through the asking them for one and then they send it off. Um, but the first guy who responded was a PA and he's like, I, I explained my situation. I'm like, I'm a physical therapy student. This is what I have. I know I need to see this person for a consultation about this surgery. I couldn't have laid it out. Right. More, yeah, Which I, is I, unique because most people don't know exactly what they right. need or they think they know what they need, but with your, your education experience. So then the PA who was like, he was my primary, like I saw him for a physical maybe like five years ago. Right. He said, no, he said, I can't give you this because I haven't seen you in five years. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Which is, which is frustrating because I just with the time crunch and like not being in the stage, like I couldn't get in for an appointment. He wanted me to come in for an appointment explain to him I couldn't 
So then I messaged, it was a physician who I saw for a physical the year before, and she gave me the referral because she knew my situation. She knew what was going on a little bit more. So then I got that finally. And then got the x-ray done. And what the x-ray showed, I, w- I wish I could show people this because it's kind of cool to see what an ad- like what a hip shouldn't look like. Right. So basically, if you're looking, if you took a picture of the front of my hip, there was the head of the femur, so the part of the femur that sits in your pelvis in the acetabulum that forms the hip joint on... So it's supposed to be shaped like a light bulb. Yep, I like that analogy. So if you think of, you have the neck of the light bulb, and then when it first starts to round, right? At that point, if that was my the head of my femur, there's on each side there's two pieces of bone just sticking straight down. Right. So So it wasn't that nice curved shape. Exactly. It looked like I had like a like a pair of like canine teeth on each side. That's what popping out, like. just sticking yep. out. So anytime my hip rotates, that piece of bone blocks. It hits the rim of the acetabulum, so right. the rim of the pelvis, and it stops my hip from moving. Right, so it's bone on bone. There's nowhere for it to go. Exactly. So that was with the initial x-ray, and then when I saw the surgeon, they took a lot more. They took it at different angles and different pos- positions and got a better picture of it, and... When they looked at it again, they took it on both of my hips, which is really interesting. So the left one looked pretty much the same. They just found some more changes, essentially. Right. It was just a better picture, and that's more their specialty. It wasn't like a basic x-ray. So they find a little bit more. It doesn't tell us anything new. There's just more bone deformity in there. And reconfirming what you know. But then they looked at my right hip, too. And the right. I looked at the right one not really orienting myself on the x-ray, like what I was looking at. And the surgeon, I looked at the right hip, thinking it was the left hip, and thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense that it looks like that. Oh, geez. Yeah, and the, and the surgeon goes, yeah, that's your right hip. And I just, you were there. Do you remember that? The Yeah, I was, yeah, That yeah. pre-op appointment. Right. With, yeah. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I this looked at them like, whoops, huh? that's, that's not good. too. Yeah, no, I don't recall. Was your right hip, is it the same, was the same overgrowth in the same spots? Or is it different? That one looked more like the top of the head of the femur. Okay. Looked like. Right. It Honestly, it looked like someone took like a chisel and a mallet and just took a spike at it. Right. It looked kind of jagged. I don't know. I never got those copies of those images. I would love to see them again, but. Maybe next, I have a follow-up with, like, my four-month coming up here. So, maybe I'll ask him then. So, so yeah. we get the x-ray, we get the imaging done, and then, well, that we get the x-ray. You had an MRI follow-up as well, right? Oh, yeah, MRI. So, then going to the next stage where it was, like, we had to get an MRI to show, go through that. Yep. So, I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping that the x-ray would be enough for him to operate. Right. But... With MRIs, they can show soft tissue damage that x-rays don't pick up on. So that pretty much indicates the level of arthritis in the joint, which which I didn't realize. That determined whether he could operate on me or not. So if there's too much arthritis, essentially 
going in there and changing things may not provide any pain relief. So right, which is a like a double worst scenario. Right. It's so like then, now we're between we're between two surgeries. Right. Let's hope we pick the the more the one easier to correct and have a better chance of success with. Because I remember when I asked him, "Well, what's my next option?" and he said, "Probably injections until someone will take you for a replacement." And I'm 26 year old, and now right. hip replacements an option. Right. And that's it's, like, it wasn't a likely option, but it was correct. an option, and that was kind of eye opening for me. Kind of scary. It is. It puts. It's uh, especially as a therapist where you want to change everything you can with exercise. Like there's some things that you can't. And this got to a point where you tried therapy on multiple different fronts. Right. And didn't have relief. And it's hard. It's it's helpless because you don't know what to do next. Right. So kind of backtracking here a little bit. What I was diagnosed with is femoral, femoral acetabular impingement with a labral tear and pretty much significant arthritis. So right. inside of the acetabulum, there's just like a layer of tissue essentially called the labrum. And what it does, it just provides more surface area for the hip joint, for the femur to move around the hip joint. So it kind of deepens that socket a little bit, makes right. it a little bit more stable. Correct. So because there's bone deformities in the femur now, that constant bone-to-bone action that was going on in there eventually just damaged the labrum and just peeled it from the acetabulum. Right. So that's what that was. And then with the procedure, the way that they go about the arthritis, and this, obviously, this couldn't be decided until he was in my hip. So during surgery, he makes this decision whether to... If there's a significant amount of articular cartilage loss, then so that's for those who don't really understand what articular cartilage versus different other types of cartilage. Articulars in the joint. Think about like your knee when people with knee arthritis say they're bone on bone. That layer of articular cartilage cartilage is just gone. Just tissue that helps provide some cushion for your joints. Right. So if there's enough damage to that what they do is they go into, I think they do, they go into the pelvis and they drill tiny little holes. So they call it a microfracture. And there's a blood and enzymatic response when they do that, that helps stimulate the formation of a different type of cartilage, which is called fibrocartilage, which doesn't, it doesn't exactly replace the articular cartilage. Cause once that stuff is gone, the articular cartilage, it's gone forever. Right. You can't get that back. Right. There's no but what this growth. does, it provides a temporary replacement. Right. To buffer some of that and, right. and keep that hip happy as, as possible. Right. So you had surgery. When was it? It was December, wasn't it? December 26th. Okay. So between September and December, did you do anything different? Um, or was it just kind of a I still, game? I stopped sprinting and jumping. Because I didn't feel good. Do you remember that day we were, we went to the park and we were just like throwing a football around and you're like, right. let's run some routes. And I think I ran one. Yeah. And nice. it was like that high impact, that planting, that turning right. or pivoting or all of that just felt awful. So then I stopped doing that. I, I would shoot hoops, but I wouldn't 
You, know, you didn't like, play basketball. Not playing pickup and not playing one-on-one. Shot. Yep. Um, lifting. The biggest modifications I made were box squatting. So an elevated box squat. So essentially I'm maybe going down to like 50% of the way to 90 degrees. Right. So really limiting how much hip flexion I have. Right. Or trunk flexion, whichever way you want to, to look re- at yeah, it. To Just reduce that impingement. Exactly. Sensation. And, and then with deadlifting, I would just elevate it on plates. Right. So again, I you don't have to reach as far. So exactly. you're just shortening that range right. of motion. So still working out as much as you can, making the correct adaptations you need to to do the things you like to do and, and to keep you strong and healthy. Yep. But not just blasting through something that's going to cause pain. More pain. And exactly. Issue. Okay, so then you had surgery. It was actually day after Christmas, right? It was twenty six. Yeah, that was a Christmas present surgery to myself. Go? Surgery was good. I had so I had one surgery when I was little. I had a hernia surgery, and then I had my wisdom teeth out, which right. I don't really consider to be anything major. Some people it is, but I had a pretty pain free experience with that. So surgery. Where do I want to go with this? I don't. I like a. I talked to. Dr. Larson with Twin Cities Orthopedics, he came in, just chatted with me, kind of explained the whole microfracture situation. So he said, he explained it there. He goes, if, if it's in there, like I have to do it. Right. I can't tell you right now if I'm doing it or not though, which has some implications for recovery, which we'll get to in a little bit here. Uh, staff was amazing. You know, all the, the pre-op nurses, the PA, like everyone came in, they were all the anesthesiologists. They're all, Seemed like nice people made me, gave me a lot more confidence going. Not that I thought that anything would go wrong, but just, it puts you at ease a little bit. Cause there's, you know, they're poking into you and cutting you open and things like that. It's just, it's a big thing. So I Absolutely. felt, I remember cause the nurse took my blood pressure and I usually have lower b- blood pressure and she goes, are you nervous? I'm like, I don't know. Am I? Indicating like what's my blood pressure, right. and it was like one sixteen over seventy four or something like that. And she goes, "No, you seem fine." I'm like, "Okay," and that just made me feel better too. That's good too, because sometimes I, your body responds exactly. It, know, it knows this is coming, and mentally you might feel okay, but your if body's... they take an objective measurement like your blood pressure, and it's like, "Wow, it's through the roof." Yep, your body's in this sympathetic state. So that, yeah, so that was nice knowing that just gave me more confidence, like stay relaxed. Like this is going to be okay. You're in good hands. So then, yeah, the last thing I remember was the nurse anesthetist came in. He cracked a couple of jokes and he goes, okay, here's some happy juice for you. There you go. That's all I remember. They didn't give a countdown? Nope. No idea. All right. And how long was surgery? It's like an hour and a half. Okay. Pretty quick. Not that you can tell because you're out, but. Right. But I, so I compared it at one of my clinical rotations. I was able to watch the surgery right. at a different surgery center. And it, yeah, it was about hour, hour and a half in there. It's pretty okay. quick relative to other surgeries. Right. So then when you wake up, how are you? I was tired. Like really just groggy. I never had like the loopy feeling right. that like some people get with pain medication or anesthesia. So waking up, I 
was yep just tired and i was i was shaking a lot but i didn't feel cold but also like i don't think i really knew what was going on right. and you're in a gown or something and you're in this foreign environment and yeah your body's probably like sweaty but cold and it's just like all types of feelings yep and they keep the the operating room is cold they keep it like this like 60 degrees or 65 Chilly degrees. In there. yeah which so that was probably why but then the nurse said that sometimes that shaking is a like a, a response or a side effect of the anesthesia right which i thought which i didn't know because I was like full body, like my chest and oh, was everything like, was okay. Yeah, Not so I was kind of sitting there, like, right, you know. So that was weird. I I distinctly remember that. Um, I remember being I was really calm at first, because so mom and then Julie were there, and I was like really calm, and they were like, "Why are you shaking? Are you cold?" And I just snapped it. I was like, "No, I'm not cold. You're cold." <laughs> Might have been a little out of it there. Yeah, you're not one <laughs> that, was, snap. that was the one moment where I was like, "Okay, that's that's not, not really, me talking. That's not me." <laughs> yeah, you're not one to snap at that's, people. That's the drugs talking, right? But other than that, like getting like after the surgery, just like getting back to the house and stuff, like really smooth like no complaints i had a lot of help which helps a ton just just little things like someone needs to go get my medication right there's all these things you can't you don't really know what's going to be after surgery yeah and you 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 try to plan a little bit but there's just all these things you have to react to and you're on crutches and you're out of it and you're probably in a little bit of pain like it just helps having just people to go run errands for you get food for you you know help you go to the keep bathroom. track of my medication schedule yes. that was the biggest one julie exactly. did that the whole time right because on a, on a normal basis you're like oh i'll be f-. like i can do it and then you get home and you're just wiped you're tired you don't want to do any of this oh stuff. i was exhausted right. i remember sleeping on and off the rest of the day pretty right. much and you don't you don't anticipate you feeling that way because mm-hmm. on a normal day you're not napping on and off all day Yep. And you're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then it's like, wow, I'm really glad I have this support system around me to help me get through. So then crutches are for five weeks, six weeks. So that's where the microfracture comes into play. So when they do that, you need to give the fibrocartilage a little bit extra time to form. So you right. can't put weight through that joint quite so early. So without the microfracture component, typical crutches is three weeks and then you start weaning after that. Okay. Um, for me, it was five weeks of crutches and toe-touch weight-bearing, which means I could put 20% or 20 pounds, 20 pounds of body weight into my left foot. Right. Which is just a little bit just to keep you stabilized and right. more for which the proprioception than anything. So I didn't have um, – I didn't have – or they have you go into PT the day after – to 20, get like so all 24 those, hours later yep so to get all that stuff down because right. i was like i don't know how much it's pretty easy just put your left foot on a scale put 20 pounds into it and that's how much weight you can put into your foot right another thing they said it's so you can your hip musculature 
that relaxes a little bit more. So right. you're not holding your hip into flexion or extension right. the entire time. And then you're creating these faulty patterns that you need to retrain yourself out of when yep, you go back. No. So it helps a little bit with that as long as it's not affecting the surgery right. site. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, because you're already at risk for... Not at risk makes it sound a little bit extreme, but like there's a potential you could form a hip flexion contracture already, just the nature of the procedure, and right. you want to hold into because you can't do any passive extension for the first right. couple weeks. So you're keeping it in. So the flex by letting position. your foot rest on the ground a little bit, that helps prevent that hip those hip flexor muscles Sorry. from being on right. all the time. And then, so PT started the, the day, day after, after, and then was it once or twice a week for a while? It was two times a week. Okay. I think I did that for five weeks. And right away, it's, you know, it's because I'm taking pain medication and, like, it's working on, like, this is the crutch pattern that you want and figuring out twenty what 20 pounds feels like. And then pretty much he has – Dr. Larson has a pretty detailed protocol – it's pretty easy to follow. Pretty much it's working on motion, but not excessive motion. So it's like no excessive external rotation for a while. And then no passive extension were the big ones. Um, how is being a patient now that you're in physical therapy? You're almost on physical yeah. therapy school and now you're on the other side. How was that experience? Yeah, no, nah, it was that was my first experience in physical therapy. I've never had never physical had therapy for myself, okay. formal physical therapy for myself. I I liked it. I mean, it's I understand I think like the like there's some sucky parts to it, especially so, with the surgery. Yep. So, now I realize like if patients come in and they're having a bad day or they're not too enthused to be there. It's like there's a lot going on after a surgery. Right. It's not just that it particular def- exercise. You know, if you're doing a squat and they're frustrated, it might not mm-hmm. be because of the squat. It might not be because of you. It might not be because of the environment. It's it might the fact be that all they, they got sliced on. open and they can't do what they want to do. <laughs> so then, okay, so yeah, being a patient... Uh, how would you like learn, like interacting with a therapist? Like, did you learn anything from that, that you were going to use when you start practicing yourself? Yep. So especially with a surgery where there's a pretty specific protocol to follow, there's still a lot of variability that you can provide as a therapist without, you know, going against the protocol. So for me, I had a lot. So when I would sit in bed and then like swing my legs up to get in from sitting to laying down, I started to develop a lot of adductor pain. So right. it was growing in inside of my thigh pain. And it was cause I, my, all the rest of my muscles were weak, but those muscles were helping me swing my leg up into bed and they were on all the time. Right. So I had a lot of tenderness and pain there. So we worked a lot. He did a lot of, manual techniques in there and that that was the worst like i would i would get really sweaty and it hurt a lot and i realized this is why patients don't like physical therapy (laughs) there's some parts that are not the most comfortable but they're necessary to get to the end goal that you want to get to right so that's not something that's like in the protocol that was something that i was experiencing so you put two patients side by side 
both going through the same surgery, like their treatment, your treatment approach for each of them might be way different. Right. Like you got to treat everyone as an individual case. I exactly. think the protocol just provides a framework yep. for how to go about it. So we did a lot. It was a lot of PNF patterning early on to get motion. So oh, nice. it was a lot of it's stretching out the adductors because they want you, I think it was by two weeks. You want to be able to get to 45 degrees of abduction. So it was a lot of working on that. So it was a lot of like glute mead firing. Right. And then like doing a relaxation, doing some manual work into the adductors and then gain more motion by stretching. It was a lot of that, a lot of like some PNF into working on rotation too. Um, so where are you at now with it? You're still going PT every couple of weeks. Yep. And so what now kind of things are you working on? So now, so tomorrow, what day is, today's Wednesday. So tomorrow is 12 weeks post-op for me. Gosh, feels like, does it feel like a year to you? Kind of, but at the same time, it Maybe feels like year, it went by pretty quick. 12 weeks. Yeah, so both kind of. It was kind of crazy that I've come this far. Right. So, yep. So like I transitioned out of crutches af- completely after like six, six and a half weeks. And then, so now I'm working on, it's a lot more stuff that I was doing before surgery. So the big things now are working on that increased hip flexion and just seeing like how that hip tolerates it. So doing like really deep squats or doing like a, like a single leg split squat, but increasing that trunk flexion. So then going forward, what used to be an impingement and pain for me going you know leaning forward going down and up with a single leg squat that all feels good now um doing deep lunging starting to do like some doing like ladder drills just doing some like low impact but more than walking um i don't know you were at pt what else did i do <laughs> yeah just reintroducing movement patterns yeah Even not like- not loading anything heavy right. at all Hinging, squatting, rows. It's like a 45-pound bar is the heaviest thing I've lifted. Right. Yeah. Um, not really taking any breaks, too, because I'm pretty deconditioned right in now. Getting your heart rate back up in a, in so, a yeah, so responsible I'm, manner. And my PT, John, he's awesome. He He's really good about just kind of – he always has something lined up for me. There's not a lot of downtime. And I think just that component of it helps just to – get my wind back and right. feel like I can exercise again without dying. And then you're focusing on your workout and not necessarily your hip. It's not like, Oh, how's my hip? How's my, hip? you know, you're, yep. you're and, trying, he's, and he's always checking in on that. He does a great job of that. Yeah. Like how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Yep. Just to make sure everything's giving you is going accordingly, but then also almost distracting you, whether you're like at a ball or yep. he'll give you like a visual or something like that. So you're not just always so tuned into that hip that you're you're taken away from the workout. How does your right hip feel with all of this? Good. No issues have, with that at all. No issues. No, it still really has weird. motion limitations. Um, rotationally, not as not bad. Okay. I'm trying to think. Not as bad as my left hip was. The biggest one is internal rotation. Like that's where you kind of feel that block. Right. So to give people a visual here, if I'm sitting with my knees bent and I try and push my foot out, that's where I feel 
a stoppage. A, a, that's yeah, not muscular. Right. So it's not like it would. How's, how's your left leg when you do that now? It's just, uh, there's just tightness there. So that feels it's muscular. It's a different feeling. Yep. Right. It's a lot smoother motion. Right. And when I get to that end, I can like get a little more. There's not that abrupt stop. Right. You can push it a little bit more. And then, yeah, the, the external rotation. So just moving the foot the other way is coming along. And it's comfortable. That's the biggest thing. There's no pinchy feeling. Right. And like that's I can stretch better. it and be comfortable with it. So what are your goals the next couple months? I think golfing's the big goal. Getting back to golf. Getting back to golf right. just because that requires a lot of hip motion, especially rotationally. So that I think that's the ultimate goal, like preparing myself to golf this summer just because I don't really – competitively play any other sports and some people may argue i'm not competitive in golf either but whatever i've seen you golf you're coming you're you're out there to win. <laughs> um so i think that's the overall goal but then i think at my next appointment with the surgeon which is april 20th so like a month from now that will determine running right so i haven't ran in i don't even know the fall september october something like that maybe yeah even before then it'll probably be six months since the last time i ran right that's gonna feel good once you can start doing playing catch and yeah it's just shooting doing yeah doing it's like kind of when the ball's rolling away from me i can jog after it to get it and not right little things it's not like speed that. walk after it yeah <laughs> well i feel good that's awesome that's kind of a nice recap of everything you've been through and hopefully other people who've had a surgery can relate and yeah. If you have questions, they can more than free feel free to reach out to you. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not it's not a fun experience, but you can learn a lot about yourself right. and you can learn a lot about life too, just because a lot of things were taken away from me. So I remember when I first walked again after crutching, that's all I wanted. I'm like, I want to get back to walking because yeah. that's gonna feel good. Right. There's a lot you take for granted. Walking I took for granted, just my exercise, being able to consistently exercise in general, took that for granted. I think that's kind of helped me get into a good routine just because it was, I couldn't do it besides my PT, which is important, but it's not what I, you know, what I'm used to doing. Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they always say like, you never know how much you appreciate something until you can't use it or do it anymore. Or exactly. It's taken away from you. 100% agree. So, yeah, it was nice. It was a good experience. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of help along the way between you and Jules and mom and dad and John at PT and right. Dr. Larson, his whole staff and friends at school. And, yeah, yep, you, takes, you, you don't have to village. go through this on your own, which sometimes I at times I tried to I was difficult with that. But, yeah. Don't be scared of it. Good advice. Good advice. Thanks for sharing that story. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully yeah, no people can relate to it. And like I said, reach out to reach out to Chaz if you have any questions. Otherwise, let's continue to grow the mind and change the system.